You're listening to Force Friends Rewatch, a Star Wars TV show podcast. From Rebels to Resistance and The Mandalorian to Ewoks, we've got you covered. Here's your warning, there will be spoilers. And there will be swearing, because our host just gets so gonk darn excited to talk about these good, good shows. Welcome to Force Friends Rewatch. I'm your host, Andy. And I'm Ryan. On Force Friends Rewatch, we watch Star Wars television shows and then we talk about them. We're currently covering every single Mandalorian-themed episode of Star Wars TV. We started with Clone Wars, worked our way through Rebels, and now we are on Season 2 of The Mandalorian. Today we are joined by a special guest, Kat from Chicks with Dice. Hi everyone, I'm Kat. I use Z-ear pronouns. You can find me on my podcast, Chicks with Dice, where we just started a new arc that we developed in part with James D'Amato of Campaign Podcast and One-Shot Podcast fame. Uh, We are currently playing the Star Wars RPG, so we pull a little bit of everything from Edge of the Empire, Force and Destiny, and the other one. Age of Rebellion. Thank you. Yeah, I got Uh, you. You can also catch me on my other podcast, Unsound Theories, where we watch movies with no sound and no subtitles, or live streaming a wrestling talk show called Marking Out with My Girlfriend, which is every other Friday on the So Says Media Twitch channel. And if that wasn't enough, I also write and design RPGs, which you can find at Kat Selesnia, that's K-A-T-S-L-E-S-N-Y-A dot itch dot I-O. And then... You can find me on Twitter if you want to bother me there, at Kat Selesnia. You're a good follow on Twitter, by the way. Uh, I just saw a tweet by you, and I did a spit take literally right before we hit record. Uh, I'm not going to say it on air, but it was very uh. funny. Um, yeah, I... Uh, I don't remember how I found you on Twitter, but uh, once I did, I started listening to Chicks with Dice, and it fucking rules. It's a really, really fun actual play. Yeah, we try to make it a little different. Like We have a goal to tell Star Wars stories that are A, predominantly queer, and B, extremely political. Yeah. Right on. I don't know how familiar y'all are with the novels from the current canon but like my favorite star wars novel that i have ever read including all of the legends canon is bloodlines the so good you're in good company okay cool 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 that's like absolutely what i think the uh sequel trilogy should have been about Mm mm-hmm yeah and just your podcast alone i feel like raised the like Star Wars queer characters I care about by like 95%. So uh, that was rad. Uh, it's a very, very good listen. Yeah, we, we, we try to not make all of the villains queer, but it ends up being that we want to have diverse pronouns and most of the people that you encounter in an actual play are villains of some sort. So all of our villains are some form of non-binary as it turns out. They're, uh, they're the sort of lovable, like, scampy villains. Like, uh, like, you, you do an excellent Hondo, and oh. Hondo is one of my favorite villains. Hondo and, like, is absolutely Hondo. the best. Yeah. Hondo might be my favorite Star Wars villain of all time. I realized that recently. That's a fair position to take. <laughs> I think Hondo is my favorite Star Wars anti-hero. That's a better that's a better term. That's I feel like that's the term he would prefer to. Yeah, I mean, like when you when you get down to it, the Republic's not great and mm. the the separatists are not great. And so like mm-hmm. Hundo fighting against both parties just to like look out for him and his, like mm-hmm. I don't it's it's hard to have a problem with that. The the arc with the the lightsaber crystals is a little hard to um, reconcile with with my hot take that Hondo is a good guy, actually. But um, 
you know, I, I, I don't think he would have actually hurt those kids or Ahsoka. I think he was just kind of worried about his reputation and, and trying to trying to get his way out of that. Yeah. I think there's a huge difference between Clone Wars Hondo and Rebels Hondo. Too. There is. Like, he had a rough 18 years. Yeah. Yeah, I think he kind of mellowed out with his piratiness over those years and eventually became a daddy. <laughs> so that's fair. Yeah, I, I don't disagree at all. <laughs> yeah. That's a bold stance that I've just taken. Hondo Onaka is daddy. I mean, no Hon- arguments. Hondo, Hondo could get it. Uh, I was talking to some people today about how hot Cat Bane is. Oh, Cat Bane. <laughs> Cat, Cat Bane could also get it. <laughs> now that's a take. I don't know. I'm kind of into the whole danger thing, so I, I can see it. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd want him to be a little mean to me. Um, we're getting off topic <laughs> now. another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to, to, to use a, an RPG term, uh, because we have a guest, we're going to veil there and fade to black, and we're going <laughs> to pick right back up. Um, so, how did you get into Star Wars? That's a question we like to ask our guests. Like, Ooh, that's... everyone's first Star Wars is, is always kind of something different that they latched onto. So, my very first Star Wars was the 1997 theatrical re-releases. Nice, nice, mm. nice. I was brought to those as a kid. Like, my whole family went. We had my brother, all of my cousins, everyone as, like, a family event. And we saw all three of the original trilogy in their full 90s glory. So only a little bit of Lucas meddling. And I kind of fell in love with, like, the idea of lightsabers and all of the cool, like, jumping and flipping and other shit that they got to do. I mean, like, Luke losing his hand was, like, a huge deal for me. And then the prequel trilogy came out, and I was the right age for the prequel trilogy, but I still thought it was kind of kind of garbage. So I fell off of Star Wars for a little while. Then I picked up Campaign Podcast. And that's what set me on this path to Star Wars Obsession. Because I realized the kind of stories you could tell with Star Wars and wanted to enjoy that a little bit more. And then I got mad at Episode 9 and made my own actual play. (laughs) And that's my journey with Star Wars thus far. Yeah, yeah, I really, I really feel the, uh, the episode nine bitterness, personally. Um, I like my version of that movie, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I can, I can accept that the, the version we got is, uh, in my opinion, not good. If you are an episode nine stand, that's fine. If you're listening, I like, I, I don't think you're a bad person or have terrible taste. It's just not the movie I wanted. Um, but yeah, it's, I can't rewatch it. It's, it's real. It's a really bad movie. I think <laughs> I recently tried rewatching it. Cause we, for partly for research, partly for fun, did a full series rewatch of the movies. And episode nine came on and I was like, hmm, all right, I'm going to go do some substances and zone out for (laughs) this movie. I think I saw the movie in theaters on Christmas Day with my wife and his family, which was a lot of fun, other than how god awful that movie is. (laughs) Any thoughts on episode nine there, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, that's the only Star Wars movie that I I don't hate it. I have a lot of problems with what happened with Poe, what didn't happen with Poe and Finn. And the sheer, like, the way that it's a collection of awesome moments, not linked together by too much connective tissue, I can enjoy the ride. I can enjoy moments like the galaxy fleet, but it is the only star Wars movie that I like 
less each time I watch it. But there are definitely moments like, you know, when the fleet of ships from around the galaxy yeah. comes to Exegol and you see like the ghost. Yeah. There, there are parts. But it's a subtractive whole in that each part doesn't complement each other. There's no yes. synergy to the movie. Yeah, it needed another year of development and, and probably someone other than Terio and Abrams in the room to really do its thing. I shouldn't even throw Terio in there. I mean, he tried to do his homework. He apparently read like everything from Aftermath to Dark Empire, but mm -hmm. they just weren't given time. I I do wonder if there is an extended version of that movie that would make it better. Like Terio did an interview recently where he talked about like a ton of stuff that just ended up on the cutting room floor. And I'm like, I wonder if I there's that. another 15 minutes of movie that would make me like this more. I don't know if there is because the... There's uh, quite a lot of stuff in there that I just don't like, uh, and I don't know if adding to it would help, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a shame. I know we're not here to talk about episode nine, but like the Chewbacca fake out makes me so mad. Yeah. It just, the, it... If the storyboarded scene that they showed of Kylo Ren doing the force interrogation of Chewie and Chewie making Kylo relive Mm -hmm. Like moments of happiness with Han, Leia, and Uncle Chewie. If that had stayed in the movie and then like Kylo pulls out of it and leaves and is crying and Chewie is crying, that would have made the Chewbacca fake out worth it. Yeah, absolutely. But, but they cut that. Oh. Also, the C3PO fake out pisses me off. It was a lot of like building tension and then not paying it off and like that's a problem that i think i have with a lot of jj abrams stories but i you know also didn't care for his star trek movies and i'm weirdly a bigger fan of star trek than star wars despite how much star wars i know favorite trek deep space nine yeah good answer same 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 I think my problem, I just figured it out why I don't like The Rise of Skywalker. Every Star Wars movie asks, you know, like, I mean, the sequel trilogy, especially like The Force Awakens asks you, like, what if destiny is ready for you, but you're not ready for it? And The Last Jedi asks you, what if you want to, you know, what if you want to fight the cause, but not everybody in the cause agrees with you? And The Rise of Skywalker asks you, what if you're a genetic experiment that's sort of the granddaughter of space Hitler and you got to fight him, but your sort of boyfriend, sort of cousin, it's complicated, doesn't want, like, it, there's no, you cannot connect with what's going on. It is a very hard connection to make. It, yeah. I try to watch Star Wars movies as like a pacing thing and. It, same goes for shows. I try to look at each action as a roll of the dice in yeah. a Star Wars RPG, and it just doesn't hold up for Episode Nine, where it holds up for almost every other piece of Star Wars media. We can even talk about that with uh, Season 2, Episode 2 of The Mandalorian, which is what we're supposed <laughs> to be talking about. <laughs> I think with that, we will go into the the recap of this episode. Uh, so if you haven't listened before, I tend to do uh, a, a quick kind of bad recap of every episode. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's pretty good. Uh, pretty good. It usually depends on uh, how long ago I watched it and uh, if I was like drinking or not, uh, or if I'm <laughs> drinking uh, while recording. Uh, so season two... Episode two, the frog lady is the name of the episode. Um, it <laughs> what starts was the off name of the episode? For once, even I don't even know. Oh, okay. Um, 
The Passenger. The Passenger. There it is. I thought my title was better. I, um, I, I strongly prefer yours. And so did it the op- internet. It opens with a cold open on Mando uh, driving his space motorcycle. Uh, he gets ambushed by um, just some like so some chill queers just like very kind of like leather daddy kind of biker gang feel going on uh there is a a a big fight uh mando kills everyone there is a shot of baby yoda kind of like watching mando brutally murder someone and like smiling and it's like oh well that's probably not good uh mando (laughs) then has to walk back to uh the port where um ryan's mom is playing (laughs) poker with uh uh ant-man she does look like my mom oh what's his name dr mandible yes dr mandible you know the weird part is dr mandible looks exactly like my father and that just threw me for a loop. That is wild. No it wonder you look right the way there. you do. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Dr. Mandible, apparently, there's bet, there's some things. Mando's going to take Frog Lady to find her uh, husband. Um, right. They're yeah. supposed to go sublight to Space Newfoundland. Yeah, they have to go without using hyperspace because... Frog Lady is bringing her uh, big uh, jar full of uh, uh, lava lamp eggs. Um, Baby Yoda eats some, and it's controversial in the fandom. Um, They then get attacked by some New Republic X-Wings because Mando did that crime a few episodes ago. Uh, they chill out in an ice cave. They meet some ice spooters. Uh, the spooters are not happy. Uh, some action and violence occurs. Uh, Frog Lady and Mando bond at one point. Uh, the translator droid comes back. Uh, the New Republic X-Wings show up and they're like, Hey, uh, sorry, we, we fucked up your shit. Uh, we did save you from the ice spiders, but we are, in fact, cops, and so we're not going to help you get out of this ice cave. Fuck off now. And they leave. And that's uh, that's the episode. That's the episode. Oh, and it's, uh, it's Dave Filoni and... Um, <laughs> Paul Son Hyung Lee. Yes, uh, thank you. Up from convenience. Kim's Convenience. So good. Great show. You should watch it if you... Uh, you should turn off this podcast and go watch it. It's very good. <laughs> it's, Apparently, uh, he... He is like a huge Star Wars nerd and a cosplayer and a He's 501st, in the 501st member. Yeah. And yeah, like, like, like was just Shane? already in it. Yeah, I love that. I, I know he mentioned that he cried while he was getting fitted for his uniform. <laughs> and uh, he also is a Twitch streamer, weirdly. <sighs> he's he's like, a national treasure. Oh, he, he's absolutely a Canadian national treasure. I think he was... He had like an arc on Degrassi the Next Generation. If you want to watch another Toronto centric show. But, you know, it's Degrassi. It's made for teens. There's just so much of it, isn't there? Isn't there like like a one piece amount of seasons? <laughs> so Degrassi the Next Generation was four seasons long. It was like there are 14 total seasons. Four of them are Degrassi, the next generation. Gotcha. Got it. Or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, don't watch Degrassi. I just, I, my wife lived on the street. That's really all you need to know. Um, uh, so what were everyone's thoughts on this episode of Mando? Good, good thoughts. What do people like? So obviously I love the frog lady, but I also kind of like what it establishes for details about the New Republic, because details have been fairly sparse. We know they have prison trips, but we don't know much else about what's going on with the New Republic, how they're enforcing law and order in the galaxy and everything like that. So, yeah, I, I always like seeing a bit of them. 
even if it is cops. Yeah. Where there, there is kind of like a cowboy justice feel here. And like, I don't like, I guess when people say cowboy justice, they usually mean like taking the law into their own hands. But uh, what, what I mean by that is like, they try to arrest Mando. Um, they fuck his ship up. They hunt him down later and help him escape from ice spiders. And then they're like, look, technically we're supposed to arrest you and bring you in. But when we ran your plates, we saw that you did a solid for uh, Matt Lantner. Uh, so we're going to do you a solid and let you leave. And, you did a solid uh, we'll for the voice of Anakin. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that, I think, is, uh, is kind of cool and fun. Yeah, no, I, I just I the first time I watched this episode, I really didn't love it. But I having rewatched it in the context of just knowing where he's going and everything, I like it a little more. But it still feels a little sparse. This could have been act one of a longer version of the next episode and still given me what I needed. I mean, like, there's a reason why they inserted that, like, you know, five minute sequence where he was still on Tatooine when this could have easily been a story that started in media res. Yes. They needed to fill time with this episode. It definitely feels like they could have done more, but I mean, we got a really, really charming introduction to the frog lady. who I hope comes back. Yeah, she rules. Yeah, she's great. Great creature design, great acting, uh, kind of a fun motivation with like she's going on like a quest to find her husband. Like Mm -hmm. it's all good. It's and it's once again the physicality of the great Misty Rosas in the suit. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Absolutely. We have to gush about her every time she's in an episode. She's just brilliant performer. And Dee Bradley Baker is the voice. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, yeah. No, you get Dee Bradley Baker to do the voice whenever you need some sort of creature voice. That's like... Oh, yeah. His creature know, voice is phenomenal. Like he, he... What other... I mean, he was... I, I can verify this, but he definitely voiced um, Avatar Korra's bear dog thing, and I can't remember her I name. I think you're right. He's most of the monsters in the Gears of War series. I think more than not. Yeah, he was also Appa in yeah. Avatar. Not to be confused oh, with Oh, that's probably where Filoni found him then. I think so. <laughs> Almost assuredly. This is also where we got... Is this Dave Filoni's first time on camera in this episode? Uh, no. He and Rick Famuyiwa and Deborah Chow played pilots in the Prison Break episode. That's right. Which, that time, apparently, they shot that in the X-Wing that was going to Disneyland the night before they shipped it to Disneyland or something crazy. Um, this is his first time as an actual character, not like, hurry up and get in that thing. We need to get these shots. Yeah, it's an interesting episode from, like, a pacing perspective, too. So... To put things into context of RPGs, because that's where my brain always goes, because that's what I do with 99% of my day when I'm not working. (laughs) Like, you can look at each kind of story beat as a role within the Star Wars RPG system, and it works really well translating, like, beat-for-beat, role-for-role a session of a Star Wars RPG. If it's a, you know one person one gm game which is uncommon but still pretty workable uh particularly failing his bluff checks and everything like that it's always a fun thing to you know have someone roll deception and then just get completely called out on the fact that they (laughs) just dropped the worst possible lie because you ask a player to come up with a lie they're gonna be like oh uh it's it's not installed right now. Him then, like, them kind of calling his bluffs does feel like the DM trying to give more opportunities to fix mm-hmm. the situation. Because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, well, if it's not installed, then you're going to have to follow us. And he's like, oh, whoops, let me hit the switch. And then they're <laughs> like, 
oh, what's that other thing? And he's like, uh, here's another lie. And then, like, he looks out the window and the X-Wings are, like, raising their X-Foils. And it's like the DM is just begging Din Djarin to please stop fucking up the social encounter. And, uh, oh boy. You invested all of your skill points into ranged light and ranged heavy, and now you have to do a social encounter. <laughs> uh, I'm just like thinking about how much of an agent of chaos Grogu Baby Yoda is in this episode because he's eating the eggs so he's like constantly Mando has to keep an eye on him which is like you know normal but at least on the ship, usually Mando doesn't need to keep too much of a close eye on him, except yeah. when he's got eggs on the ship. <laughs> and then, you know, going after the spider eggs and everything like that to get the giant weird suction cup spiders coming after them. I like pretty- these spiders. They're a cool design. They're a very cool design. They're, oh. uh... Aren't they a uh, Ralph McQuarrie thing for Dagobah? They like, are uh, Ralph McQuarrie art, I think, for Hoth. Oh, interesting. Even I better. I think. Uh, they were kind of... This design was kind of used for Star Wars Rebels. Yeah. Uh, but then they kind of altered it a bit more to, to have work for Mando. Yeah, so, like, uh, like I think, like, technically within canon... This was the same planet where uh, Kalizeb first had that ship was christened and first launched. Is it? Yes, because Tatooine is like right next to Geonosis and that Rebels episode took place on a moon of Geonosis. So it makes sense, given that they're I'm traveling at it. sublight speeds from Tatooine, that they're probably near Geonosis. Because I know, I know it's also supposed to be the same planet from uh, from the very beginning when he's in that bar and he can bring you in warm or he can bring you in cold and then the, the creatures under the ice attack. But there's no reason they can't all be the same. But I, yeah, that does make sense. I had not thought of that. Yeah, it's, there's definitely like some cool continuity that happens there. Yeah. A lot of stuff happens in the Arcanist sector, you know? Yeah. I spend a lot of time studying a map of the galaxy because <laughs> I have to plan where everyone's going next and that means knowing where things are. I used to have a t-shirt that said like Chalman's Cantina, Moss Eisley Spaceport, Tatooine, Arcanus Sector. And everybody would always ask me what the Arcanus Sector was. It's nice to meet a fellow person of culture. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm glad we have that context where we can talk to each other about <laughs> the various sectors in the galaxy and talk about the Rishi Maze. and The Rishi Maze. I'm a Chamel sector man myself. Okay. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm a big fan of uh Companion Galaxy Auric, which is where you have Camino and stuff like that. <laughs> that one I didn't know. All right. Yeah. Y'all are nerds. <laughs> it's a Star Wars podcast. <laughs> no, this is the exact place where you can nerd out about this sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, no, this is this is where you come to hear about the Arcana sector and Companion Galaxy Auric. The map discourse. Hell I yeah. It. <laughs> it's kind of neat because the galaxy itself doesn't have a name, but it does have two satellite galaxies. There's Companion Auric and Companion Besh. Which is never actually explored other than that it's mentioned like three times in some canon books and then huh. never shows up for any reason outside of that. But satellite galaxies. Well, we could go on about the maps longer than the Perlemian trade route, a but. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fight at the start of the episode. Oh, yeah. I think no. it's a 
I think it's a great fight. I uh, I like that we get a mix of sequel trilogy species and um, in with, you know, uh, original trilogy or prequel era stuff. I like when all three uh, yeah. types of aliens kind of show up together. Um, that's a tiny complaint I have with the sequel trilogy. Is it underused kind of classic Star Wars alien designs? But um, Very much. Yeah, it was. it's a good fight. It's a good opening. Um, I do have a complaint about that fight. I'm saving it for when we get to the complaints. But as of right now, it's a good fight. I think, like, if we get to see Mando being, like, both diplomatic and strategic in how he handles that fight, and, like, I, I think that's a really neat look into, like, an otherwise very, like, stoic sort of action hero kind of moves. Like, a lot of Mando's techniques and battle strategies are built on overwhelming people with the fact that he's a got Beskar and B is a Mandalorian. In this case, we get to see him be a little bit more strategic as he's outnumbered and everything like that. And I think that's a kind of neat way to look into the mind of Din Djarin and see exactly how he kind of operates in tense situations. I mean, not that crate dragons aren't tense, I love that he fucking lies to that dude. Like, you just don't see protagonists in Star Wars really do that, except for Han, and Han is terrible at it. Mm -hmm. And to to see uh, Din just be like, no, if you put Baby Yoda down, I'll let you go. You can have anything you want from... Uh, that wreckage, and the the guy complies and does it, and Mando just murders the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. It's a fun way to kind of establish that Mando is ultimately still a little bit of an anti-hero, or at least a... Yeah, I consider him kind of an anti-hero. I think he cares less about what happens to the galaxy and more about what happens to Grogu than anything else. Like, he's not out to save anyone but his family. It's a little anti-hero-ish. I I think in season three, which I'm assuming is happening, um, we will probably see his opinions on the galaxy come, uh, a bit more center stage, but yeah, I, I, I think you're right. As of right now, we don't really know what he thinks or feels about it. And it does feel like he only cares about his family. It, I kind of get that though. Like the star Wars galaxy is a very, very, very dangerous place. Yeah. Where you either have a lot or you have like next to nothing. And the people in the middle have to work really hard in really dangerous situations to make that, like, middle ground amount of money. For sure. And I get why, like, someone would be just out there to support their family, you know? Like, I have to do this to protect and support my family because otherwise we'll be enslaved by the huts or enslaved by the Empire in all but name, or thrown in New Republic prisons for not following their arbitrary (laughs) rules. Yeah, Yeah, I can really understand why someone would kidnap a freighter full of Jedi younglings to take their power crystals. (laughs) I just think Mm -hmm. that's a really relatable uh, thing that someone might have to do. You're just attracted to him. You're making excuses for him because he's sexy, and that's fine. It's the space cutlass. That space cutlass. <laughs> oh god. And the jacket. I, it's a great jacket. No, I think I think I mean as far as Din's views on the galaxy, I think we will get to see them in season 3 for sure like you said, but yeah. I don't know that he has many views on the galaxy. Like he was in a cult. 
and now he's got this baby. And and that's kind of that's his life. That's that's his whole life story. And I don't know if he even really understands what's going on on Mandalore or what the New Republic is. He seems to have an idea that the Empire is bad. But what's his knowledge of it? Yeah, I mean, like he was indoctrinated into this cult during the Clone Wars, right? Like, so he yeah. he has to have been in this fairly insular cult for the entirety of the existence of the Empire, unless they were like occasionally going out on missions. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been hunting for some time, I'm sure, to have grief cargish trust, but I can't imagine the bulk of that cult was going out and I can't imagine he was going out for anything other than to earn money for the cult. I imagine the cult had a more active presence before the purge. True. Like you go underground when the empire is purging all Mandalorians. But they were still probably very separated from Mandalore at large because we don't, we don't see anything in Rebels or even the Clone Wars. Well, the Clone Wars, I guess they, they've come from Death Watch. But we don't right. really see anything of Death Watch in Rebels. Right, because Death Watch has that schism where right. half of them join Bo-Katan and half of them join up with Maul. And then there's like the Mandalorian Civil War that happens towards the end of the Clone Wars and that whole nonsense. So, like, is this a third offshoot faction that neither sided with Maul nor with Bo-Katan and decided oh, to become their own warriors and follow the warrior way of Mandalore again? I figured the horns on the armor's helmet tell us exactly what side she took. That's That fair. was my read on that. But it could easily be a third faction. Was there anything from this episode that y'all disliked? Aside from the spiders? Like, I don't have arachnophobia, but boy, those spiders were gross. Yeah, there yeah, was much. I saw a lot of people hoping for, like, a trigger warning it was that bad. Like, I know somebody who had a panic attack at this episode. It would have been nice to get advance notice of hey, there are going to be a lot of really gross spiders coming up. Yeah, and I like spiders. I mean, I have no I have no spider phobia. I've got some weird phobias. That's not among them. And I still think that that would have probably been a good good faith decision. Even, I mean, like, not that it, obviously the ratings standards boards for television determine the actual episode ratings and the warnings in the episodes and everything like that. But like, you know, Beyond the typical language, sexuality, and violence tags, it'd be nice if there was, like, you know, general purpose phobia tags. That could... mm-hmm. What I really want is the AO3 tag system on all television right? shows. There you right? go. Because, like, I feel like colloquial, colloquial, whateverly, colloquially. we are all, thank you. We're already <laughs> doing that when we recommend shows to people. Yes. Right? Like, when I recommend Black Sales to People, which is a show I'm obsessed with, oh my I'm God, like, look, it's a phenomenal show. It's a phenomenal show. In the first three episodes, here are the trigger warnings, though. And once you mm-hmm. get past those first three episodes, it's significantly a much better show. And you like the trigger warnings are not nearly as bad. Right. The first three episodes are to sell it to the network. And then the yeah, rest of it is what we actually want to make. It's trying Mm -hmm. really hard to be Game of Thrones on boats in those first Mm -hmm. three episodes, and it's like a night and day difference once you're on episode four. But I, like, give AO3 trigger warnings when I recommend that show to people. Right. And, like, people are already doing that, and we just might as well, like, for brand new content, it'd be nice to get those. I mean, I think it's asking a lot of Disney to do anything considerate of their audience ever, but, you know. It'd be nice to have, like, something displayed prominently on Disney Plus that says, like, you know, arachnophobia warning, 
I mean, like, uh, that's, like, basically the only, like, major phobia warning that I can think of that, like, you would need in The Mandalorian. My complaint for this episode is one that I've talked about numerous times uh, was coming. We are finally here. We have reached the point where Baskar is invincible. <laughs> and the fight with the bandits at the start of the episode is a really good fight. Boy, howdy, is there zero consequence other than his speeder is banged up. Like, he gets in a motorcycle accident, gets shot multiple times in the breastplate. I think he gets stabbed. He gets punched a couple times. And he's completely fine. He definitely also gets shot in the head. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's way worse next episode when he walks down a hallway of blaster fire like it's nothing. (laughs) But it is uh, we are in the point now where it is silly to me and I find it uh, frustrating. It is the the John Wick problem. And uh, I don't. I don't want to say I don't like it because that that sounds really negative, but uh, if I can make this episode better, uh, I would have Mando get hurt more. He definitely feels like he has a very literal plot armor in this episode. Yeah. Like it's it's the John Wick suit in John Wick 2. He gets a bulletproof suit made and it looks exactly like the suit he wears in the first John Wick movie, but it's bulletproof now. And he like. Gets shot all the time in this stupid. Like laser this stupid dinner jacket and it's uh absurd where in like the first john wick he's getting beat up constantly and keanu is like covered in blood and cuts and bullet holes and is like selling it and you feel every time he gets hit and then he gets this bulletproof jacket and it's a video game uh and that's how mando feels in season two to me i guess like yeah that's that's at its worst in its next episode too i think yeah I guess if, like, you're trying to explain it canonically or whatever, that that's why Mandalorians are such fearsome warriors, and, like, most of them don't have full Beskar because it's very hard to get and everything like that. It's just, like, when you get a true Mandalorian warrior, that's why they're terrifying and why the Old Republic waged an entire criffing war against them. Like, maybe... If you put it in that context, it makes a little bit more sense. But, like, I'd prefer my heroes not to have literal plot armor. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a way to balance it. Because I agree, like, they're trying to show how badass Mandalorians are. And, like, for sure I get it. And uh, when he does fight, like, against the lightsabers, you see the Beskar, like, getting heated up. And it's like, oh, wow, I bet Jedi's versus Mandos is really cool in live action. But it's uh, it, it it it's it's a minor complaint. Like like I, I'm I'm over here bitching about it. But mm-hmm. it's I I I think there's a better way to show how formidable they are without seeing him constantly get shot and punched and stabbed and in motorcycle accidents and like him just be fine. Also, like. Yes, I know he's a force user, but Baby Yoda was he's a baby in a motorcycle accident with no helmet on. And he was completely fine too. Like Din could have just been limping. Like yeah, they, they have that they have that establishing shot of him like walking, dragging everything, and like Show that he, like, got hurt a little bit. Like, have him hunched over. Like, being shot in a bulletproof vest, you'll still break ribs. And I know, like, mm-hmm. a best, you know, best car versus blaster bolts. Like, what is the... I don't I don't know. But, like, it mattered when he got shot by Fennec Shan's sniper rifle. And that was the same armor. These guys were really freaking close. Again, small complaint. But uh, I want I want to see my heroes get hurt. The best part of Daredevil on Netflix is watching Charlie Cox bruised and bleeding and crying over his Catholic guilt. 
Uh, give me some of that with uh, Dindajaran. I think I think I think I'm on the same page with you on that one. Like, yeah. I you, like uh, I like when my men are a little roughed up. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I entirely get that. Uh, it it feels very like the successes feel less earned when yeah. they don't have challenges and like you know you can see that with how the failure that he has in this episode works to like humanize him in some respects or personize him since you know you have non-human persons in the galaxy that he's someone who is it's not like a perfect bounty hunter he's not quick-witted in a sense he's not like he didn't invest a lot of points in his social skills he invested a lot of points in knowledge religions and guns basically and i kind of wish he failed more yeah yeah, to to put it into RPG terms, he's leaving at this point on, he leaves pretty much every fight with uh zero fatigue and zero wounds. Mm-hmm. And I get that Beskar is good, but um the wounds and fatigue uh make the heroes victories uh sweeter. So in the most recent recording that we did, uh Players do a blind hyperspace jump. And that's risky. Yeah. So they had their astromech plotted out and they rolled three advantages on a dice pool of four yellow dice versus a daunting with no upgrades. It did not work out well for them. Oh, yikes, yikes, yikes. So right now the ship is in like the absolute worst shape it's ever been, but it made for some really compelling action. Oh, I bet. Yeah. You know, like those failures work so much better for giving the hero something to come back from. Yes. Rather than just John wicking their way through everything. (laughs) Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with John Wicking. Yeah, I still do love John Wick, but it has not recaptured the hype of that first movie. Even in the first movie, he takes a lot of damage, but like, it's only really at the end that he feels like he's could possibly lose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, plowing your way through a bunch of useless minions doesn't make for compelling storytelling it can make for a really 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 great like power fantasy but star wars isn't really supposed to be a power fantasy if it was anakin would have been a good guy that was really well said yeah like i like that star wars at its best is about selflessness to me what makes good star wars is like we're gonna make a star wars cocktail here it's one part hope (sighs) One part found family and one part politics. Yeah. Like, I think. Shake and serve. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a, it's our little Star Wars Negroni. Um, <laughs> the politics being the Campari, since that's probably the most controversial part of the drink and or Star Wars. Uh <laughs> I, I think that's uh I think that's where we ended on. Do you have anything uh you wanna you wanna plug again um for us? Uh yeah. If you wanna go ahead and log into your I guess you're already in a podcatcher if you're listening to this. If you look in the same podcasting app that you're using right now, you'll find a podcast called Chicks with Dice. It is an all trans actual play where we tell queer and political stories using various indie RPGs and the Star Wars RPG. If you'd like a place to intro, I would really strongly recommend starting with 
the one shot that we did, um, thy words inspire thespians. It's a really good place to kind of get the vibe for what we're going for with that podcast. And it's a one shot, so it's not like too big of a commitment. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thank you very it was, much for having me. It was a blast. It was, yeah, it was so much fun. Uh, yeah. I, I love following your Twitter and I love listening to your podcast. So it was great to like sit down and uh, talk to you. I was going to say in person, but this isn't in person. But it's uh, as close as we get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, a vo- Thank a vo- you. Voice calls feel very personal to me because it's a good way for me to communicate with people and build friendships yeah. and then not have to look them in the eyes. <laughs> all of all of my friends live far away at this point too, so this is just how I socialize in general. Anyway, that's true. So it's that. nice to it's nice to take like a parasocial relationship and like make it make it real. <laughs> yes, we're socializing our parasocial relationships. Well, that's gonna do it for us. Follow us on Twitter at Force Friends Pod. We want to give a huge thank you to Bristol Podworks for our, our intro and for being our producer. Go reach out to them to make your podcast dreams come true we are grateful to be part of the where they may radio network you can get some amazing rewards at our patreon at patreon slash wtm radio as well as bonus content from ending pending fan fiction is good and force runs rewatch uh so yeah go check that out listen to fan fiction is good actually by the way it's it's fucking great and i'm going to be guesting on it soon so yeah get on that it's it's good shit I'm going to respond to that call to action now by subscribing in my podcatcher. I am a little biased because the the, my my fiance is the host, but it's really good. (laughs) He's very talented. I'm slightly less biased because my friend is the host, but I too think he's really talented. If that counts for anything. Yeah. Also, (laughs) ending pending is great. Our producer Ronnie hosts that and. Me and my fiance are on it as well. So it's all three of us. You can't go wrong. All these shows are great, and I'm connected to all of them. I would have it no other way. Uh, Leo season, baby. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, how do we end the podcast? We end the podcast by imploring those responsible for the fates of Mira and Ephraim Bridger to just tell the boy about his parents. So much could have been avoided. It just it would have been better all around. Tell the boy about his parents. Tell him what tell- happened. Tell him. Just tell him. He's right there. You know. You found out in season one. You you could have told him before season three. Or is it four? Does he not find out till season four? Oh god, when does... It's uh, a season, long time. He finds out in season two. They tease it early in season one. Okay. But the the the, uh, the Prisoner X 10 episode or whatever is... Season two. I think it's the mid-season finale. Is that they the one? Wait, way too long. Is that they the do. one where they finally meet? Uh, what's his face? Clancy Brown. Um, yes. Writer Azadi. Governor Krabs. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of uh, Sith Lord Krabs <laughs> or uh, uh, Big Criminal Krabs, then <laughs> first Krabs. Krabs. <laughs> <laughs> you did it, so I didn't have to. <laughs> Where they may radio.